and Darcy will laugh when I say this, <laughs> we approach it with less conviction from our own biases. Uh, yeah. <laughs> shut up, Darcy. <laughs> you shut your mouth when you're talking to me. <laughs> The World Cup is the pinnacle of the soccer world. You have the best athletes in the game representing their countries and doing everything they can to perform at the highest levels in the biggest moments of sport. And while I love nothing more than watching these incredible athletes play, I also love talking to the coaches behind those athletes. The people that help support these amazing athletes in their quest for soccer immortality. And that's why I'm so honored to have two members of the U.S. Men's National Team performance staff on today's episode. Steve Tajan was the head of performance during the last World Cup cycle, as well as performance coach Darcy Norman. Steve was a soccer hack that got a taste of what bad rehab looked like and wanted to make things better for the athletes he worked with. He started his coaching career in the MLS with the Columbus Crew, then spent five years working in England at Everton Football Club, before coming back for a second stint with the Columbus crew. And not to be outdone, Darcy Norman has spent time with prestigious clubs like Bayern Munich and AS Roma. And, oh, by the way, he also won a World Cup with the German men's national team in 2014. So needless to say, these guys are two of the heaviest hitters in the sport, and I couldn't be more excited to bring them on the show together today to talk about the World Cup experience. Now, if you're a regular to the show, welcome back. As always, love and appreciate you. And if you're new here, welcome. I'm Mike Robertson, and this is the Physical Preparation Podcast. In this show, we take deep dives into the art and science of coaching, cueing, program design, business, and personal development. Basically, anything to help you become a better trainer, coach, or rehab professional. Now, as someone that has spent a significant portion of my career around soccer and soccer players, I knew when I asked Darcy and Steve to come on this episode together, it was an incredibly rare opportunity. After all, how often do you get two incredibly high-level coaches to come on together, but to also get them immediately after a World Cup, where they've had time to reflect on their wins, their losses, and how they want to evolve the program going forward? So in this week's episode, we're going to start wide and drill down. For instance, just starting with logistics, how do you keep your eyes on 40 plus athletes as they're playing games across the globe? How do you onboard new athletes into your system? What kind of role do you have in the development and rehab with athletes that you only see on an intermittent basis, but that are playing for their respective clubs? How do you go about meshing physical preparation to meet the stylistic demands that your coach wants to play on the soccer pitch. And last but not least, when it comes down to it, how do you make sure your athletes are fit, fresh, and ready for the biggest soccer games of their lives? As you can see, we have a ton of ground to cover here. The interview itself lasted close to 90 minutes, but I realized this was a rare opportunity to peek behind the curtain, and I think you're going to love this episode. So we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll jump into this amazing new show with my guys Steve Tajian and Darcy Norman. Did you know that in any given year, 40% of the trainers and coaches in our industry will leave our industry? Maybe that's why it seems like almost every day I talk to trainers and coaches who are frustrated. 
Maybe they're frustrated with the results they're getting. Maybe they're frustrated because they don't have trusted resources to learn from. And maybe they're frustrated because they simply don't have enough clients and wonder how long they'll be able to stay in the industry. So if this sounds anything like you, let me tell you how I can help. My Complete Coach Certification was created for trainers and coaches just like you. People who are serious about the results they get and know that becoming a better coach can directly translate to a bigger bottom line. This certification is going to take the last 20 plus years of my life's work and put it all into one massive course. In the cert, you'll learn how to use my R7 system to create seamless, integrated, and efficient programs for clients and athletes of all shapes and sizes. You'll learn the exact progressions, regressions, and coaching cues I use in the gym to help your clients squat, hinge, press, and pull with awesome technique. You'll learn my streamlined assessment process that will help you determine the exact movements your clients should be performing when they come in the gym. And last but not least, you'll learn how to create relationships and build rapport with virtually everyone you train so you can get the best possible results. Of course, there's a lot more that I cover, but that should give you a pretty good idea of what the CERT is all about. Now here's the thing, spots for the CERT only open twice per year for a limited time. But if you join my free insiders list now, you'll be able to save $200 when my next group opens. To get on the insiders list, just head over to completecoachcertification.com. Again, that's completecoachcertification.com and then stay tuned for our launch emails very soon. Thank you so much for your support and I hope you'll join us when the next Complete Coach Certification launches. Steve, Darcy, thank you guys so much for coming on the show here today. Really, really excited to have both of you back on. Before we begin, could you guys just start by telling us a little bit about yourselves? And Darcy, I'm going to let you go first. Yeah, I'll uh, keep it brief. Um, just by trade, physical therapist, strength coach, athletic trainer. Um, gosh, I've been in the industry for, for a minute. And uh, <laughs> back in the day of athletes' performance, um, yeah, did a stint in professional cycling and then got into professional soccer in 2008 with the time at Bayern Munich. Um, a couple World Cups with German national team, one good, one not so good. And, <laughs> uh, and then had a performance at AS Roma and then came back to the States and got the opportunity to hang out with Steve and Greg and the U.S. men's national team. And uh, here I sit today. I love it. Steve, what about you, man? Yeah, very similar start. Physical therapist as well that um, over time just had uh, more opportunities to become a sports scientist, become a performance coach, and just dabble in all the different areas that are now encompassed in what we call high performance. Uh, and then and then had some similar pathways, had some time in the United States to do it domestically, and then had some time to be abroad and do it there as well with Everton Football Club. And then when we came back to the States, that's when we started a, a you know, a 10-year journey with Greg Berhalter, starting at uh, the Columbus Crew Soccer Club and then following him to the national team, where really I had the first opportunity to work with Darcy. We had talked on the phone a, a few times and we had heard of each other, uh, you know, over over the years. But then to all of a sudden, not only put a face to the name, but within a very short period of time, go from being, you know, phone buddies to, to now face-to-face -to -face working together on such a cool project. Uh, that that was a, a really 
huge reward of, of being able to do this with everybody that was involved. But just, you know, looking back on it now retrospectively, uh, you know, just to be able to work with somebody that I consider one of my best friends now was was amazing. I love it, man. I love it. And obviously, you guys have both been on the show. Steve, once, Darcy, I think a couple times now. Like, what's mm-hmm. new, man? Anything exciting happened to you guys in the last couple <laughs> weeks, months, whatever? <laughs> you know, Steve, a little, about- little, little thing in, world, in Qatar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, uh, other than that, I've I've transitioned now into full-time consulting and just focusing on on how I can use my experience to help different environments just elevate team performance, whether it's corporate setting, whether it's sporting settings, whether it's uh, even the performing arts. I've had some chances to even work in some of the performing arts, which has been great. And now it's, for me, I think a big part of it is something we I've talked about with Darcy quite a bit is how do we use our experience to now elevate, uh, you know, the competency of high performance practitioners, high performance managers uh, in the United States. And and I think that's been a, a big focus for me and I'll see where it goes in very, very early days here. So, but, but that's what's occupying my time now is just helping as many people and organizations as I can. Love it. Darcy, what about you, man? Yeah, just, um, gosh, I think since last time on the show, you know, still with Kitman Labs as a lead performance strategist with them. And I think similar to Steve kind of doing those pieces, but through kind of the eyes of, of data science and, and um, athlete management and intelligence platform around data and information and information quality and consistency and research. So, um, yeah, that's that's kind of the day job and and uh, putting it all together. And I think too, a little tidbit, maybe people know, but uh, Steve on the creative arts side is also like professional ready drummer. So, really? Uh, okay. Yeah, uh, I don't know if you know, but yeah, he could. He could, anybody needing a drummer that's out on tour, Steve's your guy. Okay. You know how unhappy Gilmore? You know how happy he says, "I'm a hockey player. I'm just playing golf today." Yeah. Yeah, I'm a musician and I just played high performance for 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, man. You got some skills for sure. <laughs> I love it. You need you need to send me like some sound bites. Maybe I can use those as like transition and stuff in the show, man. You got it. You got it. <laughs> well, obviously, you guys saw the list. I got a ton of questions, so I want to dive in. Uh, and Steve, I'm actually going to kick this off with you because I'm really interested when you guys started all this, when you start thinking about staff selection and building your team, right? Because obviously you're overseeing the U.S. men's national team. This is not Joe Bob's uh, weekend hockey league, right? So you're going out, you're, you're picking your staff, you're building your team. Start by telling me or telling us a little bit about how you sought out maybe the various members of your performance team. And then I just love some insight into their specific roles and responsibilities. So kind of how you saw all this and started to bring those people together. Yeah, I think you just... The, our initial camp was we had to work within the limitations of the resources that were provided for us. And we went into that first camp in January. And the conversations I had with Darcy is we were just very general. Yeah, and I said, I think it's going to, I think I'm, my bandwidth is going to be stretched in terms of the ability to really program performance-based sessions, programming, um, you know, auxiliary physical performance sessions, whether they're on the field or in the gym. And I just, I, I said, I just want to rely on the fact that, you know, you've done it at such a high level for so long. And I think I should focus on how we implement, you know, a periodized plan, how we integrate into a new group of players we've never met before and how I can help Greg and the technical staff 
kind of bridge all the work that they want to do in a way where we can do it with load management in mind. And and I think we started like that, thinking, yeah. you know, let's go into this and see what we got. And I think you learn the job as you go. And I'll be I'll be honest, I had an idea of what I thought it would be, and I wasn't even close. <laughs> you know, you start yeah. to learn you start to learn about the movements that you're a mobile high performance team. Um, that that was a big determinant in how we were going to staff, how many people we were going to use. You, you're not going to build a huge staff because it just makes it harder to move from one place to the next as you're trying to in- navigate uh, what you have at one at one market, whether it be a really nice training ground, nice hotel, so on and so forth. And then the next market, you show up, you have no performance resources. It's yeah. just the hotel. Whatever it might be, you have to be very, very flexible. So I think we came out of the first camp and said, no matter what we do, we need to be agile. We need to be really agile. I ran more warm-ups in the last four years than I'd ran in my entire career. <laughs> and it's just something I had to be, I had to have the agility to go back to that, mm-hmm. go back to that, you know, and in in many ways, uh, I'll let Darcy speak for it, but I'm sure it's very similar. There's some things that he took on as a performance coach, as a performance director that he hasn't done in a really, really long time. And we just had to be agile. So we started there. But then the first need is like we we need to go really high level in terms of our our data models, you know, how we use data, how we build tools to interpret data. And uh, we said, okay, here's the profile of the person we would need. Their agility means they also have to have some sort of a performance background as well. Yep. So let's build the profile first. And as we were building it, Darcy just said, I got the guy. <laughs> uh, I didn't I didn't really question it much. Um, you know, he 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 put forward Jordan Webb as a name. Yep. And you know, it was a phone call or two, and it was like, Do you want to do it or not? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then boom, next thing you know, he's in camp. And then the, you know, the you you end up feeling out exactly how um, their skill set is going to take y- your whole group to the next level. And we didn't know that right away. We just knew we wanted a good person and we got mm-hmm. a good person. And then, you know, we just gradually let his talent kind of guide how we could be better at what we do. And then really, as we moved forward for a good two years, it was just the three of us as it related to just our sports science side. The, the medical side was driven by people who were already in the network and then pieces were added. And then as Ron Chenault came in as a head athletic trainer, building that side of it was, uh, we were a sounding board, but really Ron, you know, really executed in a way where he could bring in people that could fill the gaps that he felt were needed. And and the team was formed through that process. Not until really we got to 2022, did we really as a group feel like we needed to bring on a fourth sports scientist? Oh, wow. And at first it was kind of a revolving door. We used our network uh, and folks came in and out. And again, you just start to think about what your needs are. And I've always felt like if you're going to add a piece, it's because your needs drive a full-time role. As that happens, you can bring somebody in to fulfill the needs and then everybody else can become more specialized. When a need is met, the half pieces of that need that I was feeling and Darcy was feeling and Jordan was feeling move to somebody else. And then that half piece is now open for us to, to fill it with either expanding on something we want to be specialized in, or we take on another half little role. But in the end, it was about the agility we needed to be able to execute more than anything else that determined it. And then Darcy and I agree on one thing, like no assholes. You have to bring in good <laughs> yes. people from the start. And that drove a lot of it. So we we had a revolving door for that fourth sports science position. And honestly, we had somebody lined up. It And for personal reasons, 
uh, it didn't work out. And all of a sudden the door opened and I've been tracking Steve fell for a long time. Even when he, when he was in MLS, I saw that he was in the network and I just told Rick cost that I'd love to try him. He came in and within three days, it was unanimous. The whole group felt like we wanted to keep him. And, and Steve ended up joining us as our fourth performance coach. And that was it. By March of 2022, we really knew what we wanted our group to look like. And that was it all the way through the world cup. Man, dude, if you needed somebody to run a warm up. I mean, come on, guy. You got my cell phone. You could have hit me with a text. I can run a killer warm-up, Steve. <laughs> what an oversight on my part. I know. What a it's dramatic all right. oversight on my part. Yeah, it's, Darce, it's, what about you, man? What yeah. do you think? Yeah, I mean, just I mean, obviously you hit on all the spots. I think for me, as a as as somebody that was asked to come aboard or to, you know, see judge my level of interest, I think the big things that hit home that probably Steve didn't allude to there was just the vision that was painted out ahead of time um and you know kind of the mission the vision and the values and the clarity that was put together prior to you know steve going out and 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 getting these people and then you know when when him and greg contacted me you know that was exactly what i was looking for like you know i'd just been involved in so many situations where the leadership side of it was so just not clear, you know, yeah. and, and you know, you couldn't, I knew it was possible to do some amazing things if you had that kind of alignment that Steve talked about across a group. Um, and when both Greg and, and Steve were telling me about what they kind of had planned and the clarity to which they could speak to it um, and communicate it, it was a no brainer. Like I was happy to be just like, hey, where can I fill in? What can I do to support um, because I knew the boat was going in an amazing direction and, uh, you know, wanted, wanted to be a part of it. And, you know, regardless of, of title or, um, that kind of thing, for me, it was all about the experience and being with people that you knew could move the needle in a, in, you know, not only go to a great place, but at pace, you know, and get there and do stuff, um, that you wouldn't think you could get to. Uh, in a short period of time. And so, you know, for me, it's all about the experience. And, and so that's, that's what, you know, attracted me to the, to the opportunity. I love it. So kind of my vision for today's show is like, I want to think kind of ahead of the world cup, building up to it and then talk about in the moment. And so Darcy, I'm going to have you start with this next one because you've been in so many unique situations in your career, right? I mean, club level, Bayern, Roma, you worked with the German national team, now the men's national team. So I think you're really uniquely kind of suited to answer this because one thing I've always been interested in is the level of input that you guys have as a national team performance group on what athletes are doing when they're back with their club, right? So you guys get somebody for a couple of weeks, maybe a couple months out of the year. Obviously, these guys are playing for the biggest clubs in the world, right? Across the globe. Do you guys get any say whatsoever in the physical preparation side of things when the athlete is not working with you? Um, you know, I would I would say so the general answer would be yes, but how you get to that point um takes a lot of trust and vulnerability um that you have to create and so uh in the process. And so when we set out um to change the way, you know, the world views American soccer, we as a performance staff, the national group, it was around supporting the process of these players and their development. 
So if we looked at it through that lens, you know, how do we first support it? And that was trying to create the best structures, systems, you know, possible when they're with us. And then, you know, because they're with their clubs day in, day out, right? It's a void for the club. Like they, they're at the club, the club knows everything about them, what they're doing. And then all of a sudden they disappear for 10 days or mm-hmm. six weeks or whatever. Right. And so then they're like, what's my guy doing? You know, <laughs> like I've had all this time and going where they're, where, where, what they're doing, you know, how do I know? And so, you know, we looked and that was a big part of, of what Steve was mentioning around the data side is how do we create the structures and support so they know exactly what their players almost like the parent live 360 mm-hmm. they know if they have any concern they can go to their you know live 360 app <laughs> and, and get all the information they need on their kid uh, their player and and so they know exactly where they're at in the streaming of that and so you know that came from a, a kind of vulnerable place on our side because we had to put ourselves out there and say hey this is everything we're doing this is how we're doing it we're measured. Here's the objectivity to how we're doing it and, and the why as to why we're doing it. And then, you know, they had the opportunity to pick up the phone and call Steve and say, hey, what the hell? How come <laughs> you guys did this when our guy, you know, just flew in on this day and we could right. have those conversations? Um, and, you know, at the beginning, and Steve can probably talk a little bit more to this, is, you know, you might get a phone call here and there from a club that wanted to give their input, which was absolutely you know, we open, we're totally open to it. Um, but once they saw it operating and how we operated, then, you know, everyone was aligned and, and we were great. And the, I would say the, um, you know, the interactions with the clubs from a compliance and data sharing and back and forth was, you know, 95 plus percent as far as, you know, data that they would send us prior to any camps coming in so we knew exactly where the player was so we could bridge that with what we were doing and what we had planned based on just the obstacles in front of us. Um, And then we could see where those gaps were at and how we could best program to make sure that there was a seamless or as seamless as possible, you know, transition. And then same thing, you know, Steve would ping the group at the end of our camp to say, hey, we're coming into our last game. You know, is there any, you know, post-camp conditioning or pieces that you need um, to happen so that they can transition well into, uh, you know, back into their environment and keep things going. And then, you know, we had a policy within, you know, they would have all the data accessible within 24 hours of the camp ending that they could download. And we got that to the point where they could go and get that data any day, you know, because it was just being uploaded consistently and they could constantly daily monitor their player from afar. and so that's where it started. Um, that's where we got to. And, you know, I think it, it was a key piece. So, you know, it wasn't just us as a performance group, but now magnify performance group over, 50, you know, a pool of 55 plus players and the teams that they play with. You know, that's the performance group that we're talking about that had an impact on the, on the output of, of, you know, what you saw in Qatar. And, um, yeah, I mean, and, and, and it's amazing. And that was you know, kind of back to that original question of like, what is possible when you have that alignment? Um, you know, it's, it's unparalleled in my experience of, of that kind of a partnership, you know, with a national program and teams. That's awesome. Steve? Yeah. You know, the big thing, Mike, is the clubs want to help. Yeah. Well, it's yeah, in their best it, interest, right? 
Yeah, 100%. And I think what gets missed is that the when you ha- when you have the club versus country dilemma, which is really the majority, based on what Jordan built for us, the willingness that everybody on our high-performance staff had to be vulnerable and say, if we make a mistake, it's here for everyone to see. Yeah. Right? For us all to be that willing and to step into it the way we did really kind of broke the mold as it related to the issues that exist in the club country argument. What was missing was people just paying attention to the common ground. You know, if you want collaboration, if you want trust, you've got to start looking for common ground. But the common ground is so obvious. It's the player. The player is the common ground. And if you really were truly player first, there's times when you would have to when you'd have to resign, you'd have to take the back seat and say, you know what, the clubs are right. If we're truly player first, this guy shouldn't play the first game or he should, shouldn't should start or he shouldn't come into camp at all. There's yeah. times we had to have the discussion with Greg and go, Greg, even though he's healthy, I think what's best is he doesn't come in. And those were moments where we gained massive amounts of trust because what would happen in the past is they would give their recommendation, it would disappear into the ether mm-hmm. and then get ignored. And then the Dutch, you know, the player would end up suffering because of it. Not necessarily an injury, but it might just, you know, chronic fatigue, whatever it might be. Right. And I think we got to a point where we didn't have a seat at the table, Mike, in terms of day-to-day input into how a player should be prepared while they're at their clubs. We didn't have that. But I'll tell you this, the number of times that players were in rehab and we were a significant part of the planning of what their pathway looked like in rehab all the way to return to play would you would be shocking to some people. Yeah, how how integrated we were at times and all the way to the point where they would integrate tests that we wanted to see. So we could even determine whether we're going to call player in. And Ron did a great job with his communication with clubs as it related to that. And the way he would, you know, collaborate with us all being on calls together was, was excellent. was excellent. But that's really, I think at the, um, it's probably at the foundation of why we were as successful as we were is because we were willing to admit we need them. Right. We need every club. We need every performance coach from every club to want to to want the U.S. men's team to win just as much as we do. <laughs> yeah. And that was really the goal. How do you get people that historically don't care to care? How do you do that? You find common ground. And I think we did a really good job of doing that, of walking the walk, putting the player first and doing what was necessary to make sure the player was successful. There's, I can't tell you how many times the recommendation from a performance coach would be, hey, I think if you played them more than 45 minutes, I don't think they'll be effective for you. But we had a head coach that would listen. I'd go to Greg and Greg, this is all, this is everything that we've put together. This is the picture, right? This is not my opinion, not the club's opinion. This is fact. And what what's really coming to light here is I wouldn't start them. And more often than not, 99% of the time, he goes, okay, that's the plan. And as soon as we get to that first game and the performance coach at home watching the game is sitting and waiting, and then they saw their player was not in the starting lineup, just like they recommended, our trust went through the roof. Sure. And that's why we got to the point at the World Cup, Mike, 
We had 100% compliance as it related to any request we put forward from from the from the clubs. 100% compliance. Not a single club ended up not giving us the information we needed. And we asked for almost triple the data we normally request, <laughs> and they all did it. That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, it was a big piece of why we got to where we got to. I love it. Okay, so if people are unfamiliar, and you guys feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, I think of any national team as like concentric circles, right? There's the guys that actually end up making it to the team. There's the guys that are in camp, which is a little bit bigger circle. And then there's like the pool of people that are kind of in and out or they're on the cusp or maybe they're going to start making it or maybe they're kind of getting phased out. I'd love to hear what you guys are doing with regards to onboarding new athletes, right? You got the new fresh-faced kid burst on the scene. How are you integrating them into working with the national team, getting them started with you guys? So Steve, you can go ahead and take the lead on this one. I don't know if Darcy agrees with me on this one, but I always thought the best way to do that first is for the club to be on board. Mm. I think it's powerful when a player has one of their coaches come to them. I said, I spoke to the national team today. I think that's significant. I think that's a great start for the player to feel like, all right, I'm being surrounded by support. Mm -hmm. I think that's an important starting, starting point. We had very clear ways that we onboarded them once they got into camp. They were all as a, they were all scheduled in a part of a very small group that would have to come in at a certain time in the morning on the first day. And Jordan would take them through, this is what we do. Morning screens, processes that give us the information we need to make great decisions. Those pieces were very well lined up. They were outlined as a part of our process, but it was really before they arrived. Um, you know, and it wasn't just our department in the the team admin group with Sam Zapatko really did a good job of saying, Hey, this is us. This is what we'll do. Let's get you ready to travel in. You'll, you will, you should be expecting a call from Ron Chenault, head athletic trainer, Steve Tashton, head of performance. The whole stage was set through a series. I never reached out before Sam did because that was the order we felt was most effective. And then the first call was pretty easy. You know, the first call was first of all, it's great to meet you. Like a lot of times it's about just expressing how excited you are to meet the person yeah. was really, really, you know, Tim Weah for us was a guy that we were dying to see in camp for almost two years. Yeah. We didn't get to see him injuries, timing, whatever it might be. And the first time we actually got him on a, on a call was because we were reviewing medical information to try to give him a pathway that he felt comfortable with. And I just remember I was compelled to just tell him how great it was to see his smile and, and see his face for the first time. Yeah. And that was, it's the, I think it was the the person side of it, the connections from the person side of it. And just saying, it's impossible for us to really give you a great idea what this is going to look like until you get in, but just know that, you know, we, we've, we want to really, we're excited to see you. We're excited to have you with us and we'll, we'll tick all the boxes when you get in and let you know exactly how we operate type thing. And I, I think that was a big part of it, Darcy. I think it was about just connecting with them as people first, letting them know th indirectly through their clubs that we're talking about them, we're gaining information about them, just trying to make them feel comfortable. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, I, I kind of beat this dead horse a little bit. It, again, it just comes from the ethos of, of the culture um, you know, the leadership, the vision of what we're trying to do. And, you know, it kind of starts there, right, in any process. 
um, that helps define the process and the next step and, and so forth. And so you kind of have really clear values and filters of what you're trying to um, do, then, you know, the decisions kind of make themselves in that when you really kind of uh, look through it. So, um, yeah, it, it, it's it's just trying to get them uh, probably a couple of little bits that, you know, Steve forgot to mention is, you know, when guys come in camp, uh, in the player meeting, you know, the coach also sets the expectations of what the camp is, the objectives for the camp. And within that is, you know, meeting as a group of just also understanding the expectation and standard that we're trying to set and why. And, you know, being a performance driven community, um, everything is around performance. And, mm -hmm. and so, you know, what we're doing, why we're doing it, the frequency with which we're doing it, the consistency um, is all geared around their ability to put their best foot forward uh, and allow them the opportunity uh, to be successful. Like we do not want to hold them back in that process, right? Sure. Um, where it's like, hey, you know, the food was this or <clears throat> that was that is, you know, we're giving, trying to give them every opportunity to put their best foot forward um, so that they can be a consistent member of the u.s men's national team and um and so you know again back to the vulnerability piece there's times where a player like hey i've heard this is going to be helpful this is you know going to do this or i do this at my club um and it really helps me like that's all stuff you have to take in you know synthesize and and you know at times individualize based on what they're trying to accomplish and um because the psychology behind it as well is critical you know that they feel feel supported and they have all the tools necessary to go execute so that if things don't go maybe as they planned, you know, then they can self-reflect and say, hey, what can I do better? Mm -hmm. You know, and then that just continually raises the standard of, of uh, you know, performing. I love it. Okay. You know, what's interesting, Mike, yeah, too, ahead. is actually even experienced players that have been with you for a while, the national team is so unique that everybody needs to be onboarded every camp. Mm -hmm. the, we would do a, just a, you know, a high performance specific welcome meeting as a part of the overall welcome meeting because we want them to know what's available this camp that might not have been available last camp because sure. of where we are. We might be in a market that's got great resources that the previous market didn't have. Uh, you know, we would do things through third parties off site, letting them know that those are available. We're a part of it. Reviewing. Remember these pieces, guys. You know, this is here are the here's the the readiness pieces that we always do. Quick reminder, and then you move on. If it's something new, we're gonna try. Right. Hey, we're we're pre, you know, we're in the middle of a of a period where we get an opportunity. Let's say the gold cup in 2021 was so hot. And we went, yeah. you know what? We're gonna use this as a way to trial new things that we might use in other really hot environments. So, guys, this is a trial. We're trying these things, these different cooling strategies, these different nutritional strategies. Every single camp, you needed to onboard everybody, Mike. It was an it was a really unique um, process environment where you take that for granted when you're at a club or at the same place every single day. It's something different, you know. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it provides you an opportunity to do different things, you know, based on what that region, as Steve alluded to there, you know, whether it's activities, dinners, restaurants, um, you know, all kinds of different things that you know make the environment really unique and and brings the group together. I love it. Okay, so this will kind of feed seamlessly into my next question, which is logistics. I'm sure you guys have dealt with a lot of logistics <laughs> in the last couple of years. But 
I mean, it's just mind-blowing, right? When you think about all the different athletes, all the different clubs playing across the globe, how on earth do you guys keep tabs on all these potential guys that could be coming in, right? Because like we said, it's kind of a revolving door. Like you probably got your core base, but you got different guys in camps, out of camps. And then maybe once they're in camp, how do you go about taking all of these different guys and all of their different backgrounds and fitness levels and get them to a point where they're ready to go and like coalesce and play as a team? So not an easy question. So Darcy, I'm going to let you start. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot there. So we can both chime in. Um, And again, I'll start it with the values, right? Like a couple of our values are preparation, have a plan, make a better plan. Um, So that's that's at a, a core element to what we do in the process, right? So we, you know, I think I've said this before in other places is, you know, there's this plan, do, review. Everybody does the plan, do. Nobody does the review or very few people. And so at the end of every camp, we go back and say, okay, did we meet our objectives? Every department has their, you know, time to say, hey, this is what I think we did really well. This is what I think um, we could have done better. Here's our suggestions to improving that. Um, and then that's, you know, part of the iteration that Steve talked about how, you know, camps can change from one thing to another and moving things forward and anticipating what you're going to see down the road. Um, so that is, is a huge one. Um, and then communication is another, another part of our, our value system, right? So you can't communicate enough. And so, you know, just building how we even set up our environments was to facilitate communication and you could see if the environment was set up well and the hotel selection was good and the rooms were how it was, then everybody felt informed and the energy just gets lifted through those interactions, you know, and communication isn't always just verbal, right? Like there's a lot of different ways to communicate. And, um, and when that wasn't the case due to the logistics of the hotel or the circumstance, you could, you know, you could feel the energy just like, oh, this camp just didn't have the same pop that we right. would have loved it to have. And so all that stuff, you know, kind of fits into the cycle uh, of this. And then through kind of the planning and communication or some of the things that we've talked about. Um, and, you know, we're just kind of talking about the performance element. But then there's the whole technical tactical side, which is, you know, at the end of the day, that's what we're doing is we're playing soccer matches. Right. And so you know, there's the the technical team is scouting games, watching games constantly, you know, doing evaluations of the players. And we have a resource center where they're inputting all this information, all the all the stuff that's happening. So, you know, we can kind of filter down and see, you know, how many minutes people are playing, how many, how consistent, what are their performances based on our principles of play and style and things that we're looking for. And, and so it's, um, yeah, it, 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 it's very expansive, um, in monitoring all that to, to get it, you know, to where you're getting as much informed decision-making as possible when the camp starts to make the best decisions. And, you know, just recently I finished this book called thinking and bets, and there's always going to be, you know, uncertainty in your decision making and so how do you go get the information to to reduce that window of uncertainty so you can make the best decision in the in the circumstance and there's you know there's going to be times where you miss the boat and then it's like why did we miss the boat oh we either learned something to reduce that uncertainty or you know we we got smarter at, at better questions to ask up front to prepare us to to how to get there so 
I'll uh, I'll let Steve fill in some gaps on on that as well. Yeah, I don't I don't know if you agree with this, Darcy, but it was a lot harder early in the cycle because the pool was so big. We didn't know yeah. who our group was yet. Mm, and sure. we actually split we split the roster up because we felt like it wasn't just the phone calls that were necessary early on. We felt like we had to visit clubs. We had to okay. visit clubs quite a bit. So I took I took a lot of MLS. I took the UK just because I had spent my time in UK and Darcy handled you know, other aspects of, of Europe and dealing with Germany and dealing with Italy. And I think we would split up even the phone calls to the clubs that way a little bit. We would divide and conquer early on. And uh, we were, we were spreading ourselves out as much as we could in the process of not only increasing the players confidence in us by seeing us outside of camps, but increasing the trust in the clubs because there's nothing more uh, confidence building than, you know, seeing a person go out of their way to, to make a connection. Right. And we, yeah. we tried to do that in a way that was palpable or where they could feel us physically, you know, in, in their, in their environments as much as possible. And you would learn as you went, you know, you, you, as you interacted with the players, you tended to get a feel for who needs us, who doesn't, who thrives on the contact, who actually doesn't thrive on the contact yeah. and kind of kind of wants to be left alone just a little bit. You know, yeah. those are things you have to learn along the way. And then the, the process started to iron itself out. You know, as it relates to the control you have, you're, you have very little. Yeah. That that is just something that you have to accept. The times we tried to get more control over those situations, the more we realize it's energy wasted. And mm. what sometimes is is more appropriate is if a window's opening up or getting ready to name a roster and I'm sending my reports to Greg about who is fit to play two 90-minute games in a window and who's not. It's more just accepting what it is. Sure. When they come in, here's a player that they can either play 60 minutes in two games. They can come in as a sub in the first game, start the second game. They can't play both. You know, the, what Greg was amazing at was just accepting it and moving on. Right. Because there, at the point, if we ever got to a point where I was providing these reports and he just questioned everything, it would be a nightmare to get to a final decision. Right. What Greg is really good at is letting people do their job, but also valuing them as an expert. Sure. Why am I going to question you when you're the expert? He he said that so many times to us that it made it really easy to come to get really precise with the reports that we would give him about where players were at because as tough as it is to say, we can have a small effect but we're not going to take a guy that's only 30 minutes fit and make him 60 minutes fit. We can't accelerate that process. It is what it is as long as we know it, as long as the communication's really clear. What we didn't love is when the clubs gave the indication or they implied that a player was maybe 60 minutes fit and they were 30. Mm, Some yes. We even had players that came into camp that we were told can train full. They started 15 minutes into the first session. It was clear they shouldn't even be in camp. Oh, wow. That's different. That's different. That's that's a communication gap yes. where 
all you can do is ask for information. If it's not quality information, then you just learn from it. And the next time you you interact with that club, you just have to communicate in a different way, uh, ask for the clarity in a different way, so on and so forth. And I think some of it is just, again, down to agility. This is what we got. The player is important enough that even if they're not 90 minutes fit, we know we know we can use them. This is how we're going to use them. And you you just take the cards you're dealt and you just win as many hands as you can. And I think we 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 did a pretty good job of doing that. Now as it went on in the in the cycle and we knew our our group we did something really clever and unique and i i gotta give the whole group credit for this and then i'll even throw even more credit to kenny ishii ron jordan webb we put together something that we started to call a risk assessment tool what we wanted to know was based on playing time based on club situation as it related to psychological impact as it related to past medical history, all these things were tied together to where we created a risk assessment. Mm. And the goal of all of it, we created a mission for it. And the goal was to, to as much as possible, to impact, positively influence the availability of our most impactful players. That was the mission. Yeah. And what we did was we needed to focus our attention. So we needed some sort of a tool that told us, here are our top 14, 15 most at-risk players out of this list that we created that we felt was our you know 25 30 most impactful players once we had that list we kind of narrowed it down and the technical staff was a part of creating that list all of a sudden now we had this risk assessment that said red flag we know where our priority is in terms of our attention and our time gotcha that made a massive difference mike that made a huge difference it was a really incredible tool, and it drove at that point. It drove a lot of the portals that we created, that allowed us to share information more clearly with the clubs, that provided this vulnerability that Darcy talked about earlier, and gave the clubs insight into everything their players were doing from one day to the next while they were in camp. That all came from the idea of let's impact this group. Let's really drive how we can create scenarios where we. We, we get more bang for our buck as it related to the time we dedicated to certain people, certain clubs, certain players. And, you know, every minute had currency to it. So we wanted to really we wanted to really get more out of each minute we spent on the phone, on calls or even in person. And that that was a big part of it. But a lot of it just comes down to just accepting what you got. Even at the World Cup, we have to do that. Accept what you have, move on and progress it and take this group and do something great with them. Yeah, and I think I'll just maybe add one last little thing there is, you know, it's tough because you're talking about like a core group that you're developing, right? But then there is this bigger pool of just U.S. American players and raising that standard because just because maybe you don't make it into the first cycle uh, in World Cup that, ha you know, has no bearing on the next cycle, right? Like yeah. being four years away. So there's this whole development process that you might see a kid, you know, three years ago that all of a sudden pops back up on the screen. And so, you know, part of that is also maintaining the standard in the camp. So when they're exposed to it, they know, and it's very clear what the level that they have to go back to their club, you know, and try and achieve um, to, to get back there. Yeah. And, you know, so that kind of raises that standard. And so you can have these multiple tracks of guys kind of coming in, checking in, and, and, and looking at the development because, you know, as we know, um, 
there is a lot of different paths to roam, you know, like there's a lot of ways to get there and it's only you are the limiting factor to, to make that happen. And, and everyone's on their own journey and, and, you know, and, and so mm. they might miss, miss some cycles back here and catch it up here. You just never know. And, and unfortunately with injuries and life and things like that, like stuff happens. And so, um, it's the ability to press on and keep going, but if they don't know what the standard is or the expectation is upfront, um, then it's hard to kind of set, mm. set your sights there. And, uh, and so that's another piece of how, you know, from a development standpoint, we, we tried to move the needle. Yeah. Great point. Loved it. Love it. Okay. So one thing that, that I enjoyed when I was not working with the U S men's national team, but working with our little India 11 club here, man, it's where it starts, baby. It, it is mm-hmm. like, I mean, you should take pride in whatever job you have, but like one thing I always enjoyed was those initial meetings with coaches, right? And you get a feel for who they are stylistically, the way they want to play, you know, do they want to sit back and defend and counterattack? Do they want to high press? The The most fun in that environment for me was trying to figure out, okay, what do they want to see stylistically? And then how do I create it with a physical preparation program? So Steve, I'm going to let you lead here because you've obviously, obviously spent a lot of time with Greg. I'd love to hear, you know, what kind of goals maybe you guys had as a team as far as style of play and then how you guys tried to support that with their physical development. Yeah, and actually the style changed. Um, You know, if you were to look at the way we played up to that first Gold Cup in 2019 and the way it changed as we came out of COVID, it was drastically different. Um, You know, I don't think it ever changed that Greg wanted to be a team that through possession, uh, you know, really was able to disorganize opponents, create numerical advantages, create attacking opportunities through, you know, the this movement of the ball that would disorganize opponents the way it did. That that never changed. But even in shape, defensively, specifically, uh, you know, we made massive changes in how quickly we wanted to Uh, you know, see triggers and defensively pressure the ball Mm -hmm. to to really regain possession quicker than we really did in 2019. I I think we we saw that quite early that the players themselves didn't want to be in a system where we were chasing the ball. They didn't matter who we played. We (laughs) learned in 2019 when we lost to Mexico in the Gold Cup, players don't want to sit back and wait and wait and wait. They're like, listen, we're young, we yeah. have energy, we're pissed off, <laughs> we want to we want to do something different. And Greg's always been a manager that really sticks to listening to the players and using their input to put a plan together that makes them feel confident and that makes them feel connected to the process. And he did he's always done a great job of that. So as we transitioned past past COVID and into the second half of the cycle, it became clear um, what we were going to be identity-wise. And the first thing that we did was let's just gain information about what that means positionally. And once we had an idea of what it meant, we said, what's the reality that we can affect this? Mm -hmm. Because again, we're talking about a situation where they're not with us. And that's the reality. Uh, you know, we're a possession-based team where our center backs need to be comfortable on the ball. And when they're with us, great. But when Aaron Long would go back to New York Red Bull, we knew there was no value on possession in the way they play. 
we're not going to change that. Yep. But certain aspects of it where we're going to accept it, we can always speak to the work that BJ Callahan and other other assistant coaches did to put together hours and hours and hours of video that these guys would look at in between camps. You know, we're doing remote video sessions. The technical staff was with the players, not only about our games, but their games with their clubs and analyzing the the process that they went through in terms of games when they played well, games where they didn't play well, so on and so forth. But a lot of it was around, again, just identifying the difference between the two styles of play, but then identifying the similarities between the two and then identifying is there work that they can do technically outside of being in the national team camps that can help them maintain the level they need to maintain. And players realized early that to be a part of a national team, you have to accept your own role in all of this. The accountability was something that they needed to accept. Now, there's years, moments in the years where Tim Way was playing as a second striker, but he was a winger with us. We can't do anything about that. Right. So in the end, would we have loved every single player to be playing a, pos- a similar position with their club in a similar system with their club? Of course, like that would be ideal but we all know that's that's not going to happen across the board you're not you're never going to have it but as it related to how we could affect them physically that it was a very difficult process you know we we always would find the little spots and the little gaps where we could interact with their club speak to the club about the differences between the two environments because it's an advantage for them to know that too what we found was the performance staffs at the clubs wanted to know if there was a big difference because they actually would integrate whenever they could, whether it be corrective work, whether it be, uh, you know, performance-based gym work on field work. Like these are things that they wanted to do. We would do movement screens, video-based movement screens in camp with us. And we would do one hour to an hour and a half video calls with the clubs to say, listen, we just want to share this. This is what we're seeing about their movement. Right. And the clubs, even if in the beginning, they're like, what a ball, like this is going to be terrible, <laughs> like just because they're so busy. And we could see it in the first 15 minutes of the call. And I know Darcy will agree with me. You can see it on their face. They don't want to be on the call. They've got other things to do. But then we got a few minutes into it and they're like, wait a minute, this is interesting. And then all of a sudden we tell them we're going to share the videos with them. We're just going to set up a shared file and you guys have access to it whenever you want. We sent them our reports. We're drawing lines on the screen and showing yeah. angles and in the end, they did appreciate it. And that's about as far as we can go to affect the process. We can only give them information. Some clubs would let us have a little bit more substantial seat at the table as it related to this. But outside of it, it was more about the player being yeah. accountable. And listen, I'm not playing. So you, performance coach, when the game's done, you need to run me. Like, I need to be ready for the national team. You know, this training session wasn't hard enough today. I've got more in me. I'll be fine. But you've got to keep me fit. And that right. that was a big part of it. But it's hard. I mean, Dyer, you might have disagreed with me. I don't think we had a ton of control. Or I don't think we could have created a ton of control over that. It's more, again, the same thing we talked about before. Sometimes you just have to accept what you're going to get. Yeah. And I mean, it comes back to that player first. And I think setting the standard, right? And that's, I think, what Steve alluded to, where one club would say, hey, he's fit. To play, to play 30 or 60 because maybe they're fit in the system and how they play in a low block and so forth. But then when you come to a club that's more or a group that's more high pressing and 
you know, we're going to try and run the run the goods off you. Um, <laughs> you know, that that's not going to fly. And so it's about, again, it kind of comes back to that overall standard. So not even this, you know, the standard at camp and how we're operating from our performance and the standard of what we're trying to do on the pitch and what it's going to take to achieve that. And so I think that's where those gaps were. And, you know, like anything, communication, trying to level set the mental models of what that means to each person, team, group, club. And, um, and then, you know, the player, you know, we're giving them the autonomy, right? They know what it's going to take to try and get there. So then exactly what Steve was saying, they're like, hey, I need to do extra runs. I need to do this. And this, we're, you know, we're playing this position. And when I'm here with you guys, you know, it's a lot more. Or in certain instances, you know, in the in the center back position at my club, we hit one ball and it's long and everybody goes and chases it. And with <laughs> us, we're passing a lot more. And so their pass volume when they come in with us goes through the roof you know, compared to not passing at all really with their respective club. And so they would spend just time after practice, like, Hey, I'm going to the national team. I got to get my passing volume up. Otherwise, you know, I'm going to be sore for three days, you know, just after the first training session. So, um, yeah, I think that's just a few little, little caveats to, to that piece. I love it. So you guys have mentioned numerous times you're on the sports science, the data science side, this would not be an effective show if I didn't ask you guys, like, what KPIs are you tracking? What are you measuring on a day-to-day basis? <laughs> and and, and I, as you're laughing, I'm, I'm worried that I'm going to get overwhelmed with all of the things that you're potentially looking at. But, like, what are some of your big rocks? What are your things that you're like, hey, these are the things we have to track, we have to monitor on a regular basis? Yeah, I mean, I think it starts with the questions you're trying to answer. Right. And then what is the best information to go get to answer those questions? So I think there's a ton of classic stuff, right? Like just volume, intensity, um, you know, on specific metrics, right? Like more of the high speed, the change of direction. So the start stop. Um, and, and that's more the GPS based stuff. Then you got your different themes of like, is this guy ready to train today? Um, and so all the screening pieces. So are there kind of normative numbers? that is you know the car dashboard of their operating system are those in a line are there any engine like check my engine light going off Mm -hmm. you know where certain numbers or or mobility numbers or strength numbers that are way out of whack compared to what they're used to um you know just asking the player how you feeling yes (laughs) did you sleep well did you not is there any stress in your life um you know i think it's just trying again as we, as I kind of mentioned with the thinking in bets, it's just trying to get as much information to reduce the uncertainty of decision-making um, to so that you know you're in the best place for success. And, and so, you know, there's the myriad of metrics on uh, the technical tactical side uh, that relate to the principles of play and, and the objective objectivity to say, because as we know, there's a little luck in soccer and so you could do everything perfect on the pitch or better than what you've been doing and still lose. Yeah. But at the end of the day, you've made progress, you've done better. And so being really clear with that. So it's not a, just a heuristic or a bias of opinion of, you know, like, Hey, we lost that shit. Everything is shit. Um, <laughs> is like, no, you know what? We did some really successful things that yeah. we can build and move on and drive forward on. So yeah, I mean, the metrics are myriad, the questions are many. Um, and so it, it was really kind of comes back to what we're trying to accomplish and achieve and, and finding the, the you know, what are the right data sets? And then can we collect on it? And can we collect on it consistently enough 
to to be able to hang our hat on on mm-hmm. what it's telling us um yeah because otherwise the 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 spreadsheets are too big <laughs> yeah i don't know if steve you want to uh elaborate on any of that no i mean i it, I, it also comes down to what we talked about previously was every camp is just so different yeah you know different players different markets different games i would say this yeah the same player isn't the same every time they come in Mm -hmm. sure Uh, that that's super it's it's the most dynamic uh project i've ever been a part of as it related to you just needed to be ready for anything and at times the communication with great was great with the clubs and you knew exactly what you're getting at times it wasn't. And you're just, you know, you're going to get surprised by something and you just have to make the adjustments to create the right plan. But I I think the most important things that we put together from a metric perspective weren't um, reactive. They were more predictive. Mm. I think when we started the process based on the tools that Jordan built, knowing the consistency of our head coach, we started predicting what the camp was going to be day to day from a load perspective. And we sent that to the clubs before the players even arrived in camp. Mm. So we said, listen, this is our 10 days. Based on what we know is consistently our process, here's the way these match day minus ones, twos, threes, and fours are generally structured. Let's start using this huge library historical library of of data files and let's start just building the sessions jordan created something for me where i could build an entire camp and every session i could build every session using actual data from our gps library so if i pulled up the 10-day prediction for christian polisic it's because all the drills i used in each training session were drills that christian had data for it's christian's data predicting what christian is going to do yeah I would rather push that early and then speak to Will Tullett and the other guys at Chelsea and say, do you see anything that's going to be an issue here? Right. Right. For us, it was more about the proactive use of metrics, not the reactive use of it. I think that drove us post COVID to the world cup that drove us more than anything innovative we were doing from a metric perspective in camp i don't think there's anything innovative about the metrics we chose to measure it was about how we used it i think maybe but in the end it was more about we just tried to be innovative and being as prepared as possible and that gave us the best chance of being successful with players and then uh, you know the use of what we did in camp i don't think it you know we we know that we rested on metrics that gave us information the most important thing that we did was that we made it evident to the players that we were using it. That was the most important piece. We got the biggest projection screen we could find at every market we were in, and every morning, as big as we could get it, the readiness information was being projected for each player on a huge, gigantic screen in the high-performance room. We wanted them to see it every day. If there if there was a red flag that popped up on that sucker, the player knew I'm going to get a call to come down and address the red flag. Right. Our goal was everybody trains. That's our goal. Yeah. We do whatever we can to put you in a position to train. The next triage, sorry, the starting point was everybody plays games. The next thing was everybody trains. You try to achieve all these things. If they can't train, 
It's only because it's the plan to get them to be able to play the game. Everything was about availability. Yes. But to do that, the players needed to be vested in the process. We couldn't call them and say, no, I'm not coming down. You know, we couldn't set up screens and no, I'm not going to do that today. But in order for it to be set up in a way that was useful, they had to see and feel that it was being used. And they ended up getting to a point where they would do, you know, their hip rotation assessment. And they they came to us. It's feeling tight today because they'd memorized their numbers. Yeah. We didn't That's have awesome. to wait for it to to go to the cloud and come back down. They, you know, they they knew it. This was a group that was really dialed. And Darcy, we were lucky, man. We had an incredible playing group. Really, yeah, really incredible playing group. I mean, yeah. Mike, you we can get all the credit in the world around what we did. You know, first and foremost, tenfold credit to the players. Incredibly invested, committed group of players. I was so lucky. I just sent out, I unfortunately didn't get to do it earlier. I just sent out like the, basically the thank you email to the players today, just telling them that I, w- I wasn't coming back. Yeah. And that was the thing I wanted them to know is that we, we, we had the privilege of doing our job at a, such a high level, but because they were so committed at everything they did, you know, and that's really, that should be said here as we're talking about metrics. None of it matters if the players don't do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and like you said, if you don't have the right athletes, the job is never fun, right? Right. Like if the athletes aren't invested, if they're not doing what you ask or what you need them to do, it's just not fun. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I think that's again, it's it's it sets the standard at the beginning, right? Like this yeah. is the value system. 100%. This is what we're trying to accomplish. Are you on board or not? If you're not, like if your values don't align with this, totally okay, absolutely no problem, you know. But it, it, yeah, it it it, it kind of weeds that out, and so I think yeah, people know exactly what's expected, the clarity, and and then it makes it a lot easier. So certainly. Uh, as Steve said, a ton of credit goes to the players on that. And then also from the leadership side, you know, of, of laying that all out in a very clean way. So it uh, can all, you know, get get uh, super powered together. Absolutely. So one thing I respect about both you guys is, yes, you, you talk sports science, you talk about data science, but you guys are coaches first, right? Like you cut your teeth in coaching so with all the data, all the sports science, all the information we have access to, how do guys like you find that balance between this is what the data says and, man, I'm a coach. Like, this is what my gut's telling me. How do you guys find that blend or find that balance? And Steve, you can lead us off here. That's a great question, Mike. You know, honestly, I think as it relates to decision making, we got better as we got less. And Darcy will laugh when I say this. <laughs> We approach it with less conviction from our own biases. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Shut up, Darcy. <laughs> I feel like I'm missing an inside joke. But. <laughs> you shut your mouth when you're talking to me. <laughs> you know, I, I have that as a part of my DNA. Like I'm a very convicted guy. And, yeah. and I will, I'll go all in. I'll go all in yesterday. And the, what we... What was so great about the group we had together is they're such a great mirror for me to see that in myself. So that the issue is it's not about it's not about whether you've got it, you have the gut instinct, or you don't have a gut instinct. I think that sometimes people we we look for that in people. You know, we look, yeah. do they have great instincts? Do they not have great instincts? And I don't think that's it. I think it's about do they do they look quickly at all the pieces that they have available to them 
And something that Darcy has said to me before is, you know, the ability to walk into a room, walk into a situation and thin slice it very, very quickly. You know, I think that's the coaching piece. I don't think I ever knew that's what it was until, you know, we, until you have those really great conversations, just one-on-one with people like Darcy and Steve Fell and Ron and Kenny and and Jordan, they give you little glimpses into yourself. And I think that's what it came down to was, you know, creating the opportunity to very quickly go through the Rolodex in your head of all the information you have and do your best to try to make a really clear decision about A or B from as much factual information as you possibly can. In the end, I think what is a quality of mine is if the information is limited, I'm still not afraid to make a decision. Yep. And that comes down to the coaching piece. And a lot of that comes down to experience. The last time I faced this, fill in the blank, right? Mm. And, and you know, Darcy is, has the experience to really, I see him nodding his head. Just I think that's a part of all this for the as it relates to the question you're asking. There's never a situation where you say, man, that guy's instinct is amazing. And it had nothing to do with information. I'll tell you right now, like, it's 50-50 chance you're going to make the right, the, the right call. There is no way to make that better. Right. Off of something that we're going to put in quotes called guts, the gut that I don't think that exists. I think it's you made a a decision 60 40 in your favor because you just gleaned on something that was anchored to facts. And then you use some gut and past experience to try to fill in the blanks and you got it right. But there's still a 40 percent chance you're going to get it wrong. That's my that's my take on it. Yeah. And I mean, I 100% agree with everything. And I think at the end of the day, it's a people business, right? Like it's, it's a conversation with somebody and then figuring out what their it is. And, you know, what you're trying to accomplish based on what their it is. And, and, and then, you know, one is the, as Steve said, the thin slicing. And then the other thing that is incredibly important, I think, is how is the response to what what you've just thin sliced and how you frame that back um, to the, to that person, given what their motivation point is and, and uh, you know, based on what the goal is. So, yeah, I mean, that's all I, I think I can add to that is it's a, it's a people business at the end of the day. And, you know, when we talk about the vulnerability, the trust, the relationships, like that's the, I think the glue that, mm-hmm. that keeps all the parts and the processes together. For sure. So four years of buildup, comes down to what 30 days something like that you know like 30 ish (laughs) days i'd love to talk a little bit about the world cup itself and let's start with just workload management and player management player availability right because that's what it comes down to best guys being able to play in the biggest moments and it's even more difficult because you're not getting a normal like seven days rest right a lot of times you're playing every four days what are you guys doing on the back end, behind the scenes, to make sure these guys are as fit and fresh in between games as possible? Um, yeah, I mean, I think we've talked a lot about it. Um, I think, you know, Steve and I had a conversation in reflection, and it's like the process that was created led right into the World Cup. Mm. So, you know, like all that was established early on that kind of rolled right into what was going to happen and you know the planning the preparation the you know prediction as steve talked about um trying to anticipate every every little 
problem, right? Sure. So you could have a backup solution or at least think through those pieces. Um, and, and so, you know, I don't think there was anything crazy or, or, or you know, s- surprising in, in that regard. And then it was, you know, I think the optimization, right? Like, how do you take all the fruits of that process and be as fresh as possible every day to, yeah. you know, to keep keep moving forward? And, you know, that's where Steve initiated the recovery lab uh, that we put in that had, again, everything that we scientifically thought could be helpful at the disposable at, uh, at the disposal of the player, right? So they had access to everything there and then you know we created structures and processes to to help facilitate that through our system so you know would you benefit from uh, a pbm a light bed and, and going in there or is it better to do cryo or is it better to do a float bed is it you know whatever the pieces were so that they again could self-reflect on them and say okay i have everything here to sure. to perform at my best um so it's just now it's about me and and not about the environment, what they, you know, what they have or can kind of hang as an excuse. So, yeah, I think that's, that's a, a big, a big part of it, of, of how we set it up. And then the environment, like just also the environment of being able to relax, right? Like your own living room, you're hanging out with friends, like what are all the things that recharge your soul yeah. uh, so that you get up excited every day and trying to put those in the environment. Um, so we have this player lounge that kind of mimic the culture, American culture of a, uh, you know, like a sports bar slash big living room, hangout space slash community barbershop, um, you know, espresso coffee thing, nice. like everything Americana that you could kind of think yeah. of wrapped into a big room um, that, you know, people could kind of hang out and, and um, you know, just recharge and and relax. And, and I think all that stuff, you know, came to... Um, came to helping out in in the outputs of what the players were able to put forward. Yeah, you know, we there is a couple, I would agree, first and foremost, 100%, every camp we ran through the first three years, nine months, had an objective about how we were going to operate in the World Cup. Every single one of them. Every conversation was, this camp, we are going to test this process. Mm. And when we came out of the camp, we either said it was perfect or we refined it. But when we left it and we finished the review process, that piece of what we do was locked in. And then the next thing was this. And the next camp, we tried this. There's not a single modality that we had in the recovery lab that we didn't already have in a previous camp. So that the players were super familiar with it. Yeah. Right? Everything was tested. It either worked or it didn't work. The players loved it or they didn't love it. I've never been, I, what surprised me is how relaxed I was coming into the World Cup. I knew what we were about. Darcy knew what we were about. Everybody did. There was no, there was nothing new. We weren't going to try something that we hadn't already tried. We weren't going to try to like recreate the wheel out of nowhere in the most important tournament that we've been a part of in the last four years. Right. It was going to be us. We had our identity. And that was it, it just relaxed us all. We knew exactly what we were doing and what our roles were. The most One of the most important camps we had was the October camp for the domestic group. We had two weeks, and we knew that the gap between when the MLS season ended and the World Cup started was too big. Mm-hmm. 
And we debated back and forth across the Federation whether we should have this camp or not. We did the camp 100%. It was pivotal in the physical success we had in the tournament. That group was was fit. And they came, I thought that we pushed, we pushed boundaries as far as we could push it physiologically. The, the two weeks was really well planned, but we were right on the edge, as, a, as on the edge as you could possibly get. And every player that was in that camp was involved in the planning process all the way along the way. We wanted them to know how hard it was. We wanted them to be involved in the decision for it to be that hard, but they knew what it all was about. And everybody was on board and we finished it in an incredible fashion to where when we got to the World Cup, physically, we were really confident in that group, right? Yeah. The rest of it came down to stuff that we couldn't control. You know, are they playing with their clubs? Or are they not playing with their clubs? We have sure. a seven-day pre-camp because we were playing so early in the first week. We knew we had basically seven days of training before our first group stage game. Some of the players that arrived had three days of training before our first group stage game. Like That's just the way it worked itself out, right? <laughs> That's but our process was ironed up. Yeah. The recovery lab was amazing. We we had dry float beds. We had photobiomodulation beds, you know, light light beds, PBMs. We had um, hyperbaric chambers that the players used on a regular basis on their own in their own markets anyway. Yep. And then we had, uh, you know, a cryo unit. But the thing that was significant about it, Mike, was we tied our whole process into giving the players the information and recommendations for how to use all that stuff. It wasn't just, hey, we got all this stuff, come you know, come it. on in, enjoy the out. enjoy the playground, because there there needs to be prescription, you know. And Rick Cost was unbelievable. Rick wasn't supposed to direct the recovery lab; it was supposed to be another practitioner in our network that couldn't do it, and he came in and filled the role and crushed it. It was amazing. And what we did was we said we're going to take all of our information, readiness information, training information, and by the time while we're on the bus, by the before the players get back to the hotel from training there's going to be a message that shows up on their phone and says, before you go to sleep, this is what we recommend tomorrow in the morning. This is what we recommend. And it was directly related to the things that we had available in the recovery lab or outside within our recovery program. But it was the process. It was the, the detail. It was the organized way we used it. That was so impactful. And that was a massive piece behind the scenes of what was being done on a regular basis. Rick wouldn't even go out to training because by the time all the readiness information was collected, including, you know, some thermohuman stuff where we started using thermohuman and some thermographic pictures, things of that nature. He just stayed inside and was like player by player. Boom, boom, boom. This is what they need to do. He prepared the sheet, screenshotted it, sent it to us. We reviewed it. And while I was on the bus, bang, we sent it out to the players. Right? Like it was just dialed. I thought the whole tournament was dialed, to be honest. Yeah. And in the end, we got we got a group to really turn around in a very short period of time and be able to play games on a regular basis. You know, by the time the tournament was the group stages was finished, uh, as far as team statistics were concerned, we led every physical category when the when the uh, group stages were finished, and we had several players that on a player level led in every single category as well. Like it, it was really from a physical perspective, Darce. I can't think of, you know, there's there's one was one day where we took a day off and retrospectively, I don't think we should have taken the day off. And that was the only mistake I think we made, but that's opinion. You know, a lot of people said, no, it wasn't a mistake that I talked and said you needed to take that day off. And I, that's the only thing that sticks with me. But outside of that, it was the process that did it. And Darcy's hundred percent right. There's not a single camp we held where there wasn't something we were trialing 
that was going to shape the way we were going to operate at the World Cup. That's what the whole four years was about. Well, one thing that you said, you talked about being relaxed. It had to be in all that preparation, right? It's not like you just showed up and you're like, yeah, I think we're ready. It was no. four years of preparation and dialing Absolutely. everything in and tightening the screws that allowed you to be relaxed in the moment, right? Absolutely. Yeah, the preparation builds confidence, right? That yeah. You're, you got a stable base to stand on to go mm-hmm. go execute. For sure. Yeah. Okay, I think I, and I think that's... Oh, go ahead. Yeah, and, and I mean, to tie it full circle back to the original, like, why why I joined this group, right? Like, <laughs> that's it, right? Like, yeah. what you can achieve when everybody's rowing in the same direction is amazing. And to be a part of that journey um, and the experiences, right? Like, you know, that then go into the decision-making we're talking about as far as being able to thin slice and the experience and intuition, right? Like, that just supercharges all those pieces because it's the ability to iterate and reiterate, you know, that gets you there, I think, and, and do it in a really efficient way to the point where you're just making snap decisions that are the right decisions in the right yes. moment at the right time because of all that reiterative, you know, process that that goes on. And and yeah, for me, that's the like the the cherry on top, right, of 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 why this opportunity was was important for me to be a part of. Absolutely. So I think I already know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask anyways, just because I think people will want to know. It's like the next logical conclusion. You guys kind of knew what you were doing going into the group stage. By the time you move into the knockout round, does anything change or is it just business as usual? No. Nope. Yep. Yeah. Nope. And nothing <laughs> yeah. changes. Yep. It's business as usual. Yes. Yeah. 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 And, and it's, I, I mean, all that, you know, like the technical tactical team was doing all the, you know, scouting and preparation and things like that, right. For that group so that we knew what, what levers we needed to turn and, and dials and so forth. So, um, yeah, nothing really changes. It's just, yeah. and two, you're also planning like, Hey, if we come out top of the group, we're going this direction and here's our scheduling pattern. And if we go, you know, second out of the group, here's our, you yeah. know, trajectory and our scheduling yeah. pattern. So all that stuff was, was done and it was, you know, like a choose your own adventure, yeah. uh, kind of scenario. And you're, you know, it's like, okay, when you get here, if you want to go this way, go to page 62. If you want to go this way, go to page 38. And, and you know, you're off to the races and the story continues. Yeah, yeah I agree. I, a lot of it, Mike, even even when terms started, not just group stages versus knockout rounds, more of the success was just identifying when we just needed to get out of their way. Yeah, mm-hmm. they, were, they were so dialed. The process was so good. They were dialed, you know, DeAndre Yedlin, after every single training session, just started taking guys around the, the field to do grounding sessions. Shoes off, socks off. First day, it was only two guys. Second day, it was eight. Third, it was the whole squad. And he was asking why the coaches aren't doing it. Yeah. <laughs> and we're and like, because we weren't John, invited. You know, it was, yeah. next thing you know, and, he's invited. Sean John was another story. Sean Johnson would hold yoga sessions like it was player led yoga sessions, you know, up on his at his room. He had a a great patio. Uh, He lucked out on the room draw and uh, (laughs) got the nice got the nice deck. And so, you know, he's like, hey, Dars, we need, you know, 30 mats up here. And, um, you know, they would have team led yoga sessions and and meditation sessions. That's awesome. Um, So, yeah, it was 
it was really cool to see that stuff just kind of naturally, naturally yeah. happen. We hopefully provided the right fertilizer and, you know, then the, then the plants uh, yeah. grow. So they were, cool. they were the performance directors. We were the support staff. Exactly. Yeah. We just yeah. got them whatever they needed. Yeah. <laughs> it was crazy. Yeah. That's totally. awesome. Well, to take all yeah. this and like put a bow on it, right? One thing that I really want to hear from you guys, really, it's two questions. Number one, once the dust settles, right? Tournament's over. What kind of final debrief do you guys go through? What does that look like? And maybe with the potential, not the potential, I mean, I think the men's national team has a very bright future ahead, right? Young core, these guys are getting better. You can see it. There's a lot of energy around the team. Did you guys come up with any specific goals for the performance team or for your athletes going forward? And Steve, I'll just let you take this one here to start. Yeah, you know, I provided some input there, Mike, for sure, but I knew I wasn't going to be the guy driving it. Um, so, you know, it wasn't really in the in a as organized of a re, of a review process as we had normally gone through. But I, I think the next steps for me was we saw that once we got to the World Cup, we were able to heavily leverage the trust that we had from the clubs. Yeah. We leveraged it as heavy as we could. We did feel like those clubs wanted the U.S. to win the World Cup just as much as we did. You know, we got to a great place. Yeah. My my input was we've got to double down on it. I, I you know we we can. I think we we got a chair in the room. Now I want to see it at the table. You know, yeah. like that's the that's the whole deal. Like, can we get to a place where they trust us so much that we can be in a position to guide it more? Not in an invasive way, not in a big brother way, but because they know if we're getting involved, because it's totally player first, because now it's the flip. They wanted the US to win just as much as we did. Now we need to show them that we want Chelsea to win just as much as they do. Yeah. Like that to me was the next step. How do we get into a place where we are considered allies? We're considered a part of their staff. I always say that our high-performance staff grew to 30 Mm -hmm. because the clubs became a part of our staff. Do they see us that way? Do they see us as a part of their staff? Because I think we can get there. Look what we did in four years. If you add another four years to that, you start talking about eight years of trust. That that was my input. I, I think we can get I think we can do something really big, um, innovative that really does give us the opportunity to, you know, for, for clubs to feel like our resources have now become their resources. I think it and it would be it would be new. It would be first ever. It would be, you know, a new trail to blaze. And people might not love it at first, but when you're blazing a trail, I've always said when you're blazing a trail. You have to be comfortable with setting some shit on fire. (laughs) (laughs) Trademark Steve Tashin, copyright. (laughs) But (laughs) I think that's where it's at. I think it's always being willing to set something on fire. I I do think we've we've been comfortable doing that in the past. We should keep doing that now. And the next step is, can we flip the script? Will clubs feel like we want them to win just as much as they do? I think that's the next step. Dars, what about you, man? Ooh, yeah, it's a big question because we're kind of sitting on that precipice of uh, <laughs> the end of one and the beginning of another cycle, yeah. you know. And I think um, 
with the current kind of um, state of affairs of where we're at, like that's, it's also beyond us, right? Of, of at the end of the day, we're one cog in the wheel of a greater system. And, and so there's kind of reflection from that organization that needs to happen to say, hey, did we, did we do what we wanted to do? Um, are we going to change directions? What worked? What didn't? So there's a lot of lot of pieces in the puzzle that are out of our control to some degree. And and you know, do they are they comfortable with you starting fires? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And and being able to manage the the controlled burn, so to speak. And so yeah, I think it's you know these are with this being my third one you know, like you're constantly reflecting on them. And as things come up through the years, you know, just of what's in front of you next, um, you know, it's, it's, that's part of your intuition is what's happened to you in the past. And, and so it's a constant reflection of what you gleaned, what you learned, how you're going to apply it moving forward, um, what the next step is. And I think, you know, too, as, as we sit here and we talk about, you know, this whole experience, it's the people that make it right. Like it's there, the chemistry that puts all the, like I said earlier, the glue that puts it together. And now, you know, when Steve steps away and maybe another coach change, like there's a bit of a rebuilding and, and glue that needs to form that, you know, keeps it, keeps it moving forward. And depending on, you know, the, the, the new glue that comes in and how it, how it all gets stuck together is, is part of the part of it you got to sort through. And so, yeah, I think it's, it's just the, the future is bright for sure. And the possibilities, um, you know, like it's, this is something that I've been a part of that I've never been a part of or have witnessed anywhere else. And so, you know, for me, it's it's great to know that it it's possible, and then to you know be able to keep building on it is extremely exciting. Very cool. Well, I just want to take one quick moment and thank both you guys for coming on. I know you're both incredibly busy. I know when I wrote these questions, your guy Danny O'Rourke, Steve, helped me with some of these just because I was like, dude. This is going to be a big show, man. I don't want to screw it up. Help me out. So I knew when I wrote all these questions, this was not going to be a 45-minute to an hour show. So I appreciate you guys coming on here, taking your time. You've been incredibly gracious, very transparent. Uh, so thank you guys, first and foremost. Second, mm -hmm. if people want to find out more about what you guys are doing, what you're up to, where can they find out more about you? Steve, you go first. Yeah, um, the, I'm building this consulting project, and they can check that out at. Um, it's called the Elevation Project at elevationprox.com. All one word, elevationprox.com. And then obviously, uh, you know, they find me anywhere on social media, and it's going to be nice to have time to be able to respond to people. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. So if you reach if you reach out, yeah, let's connect and and have conversations. But they can pretty much find everything they need to find. Uh, on that website for sure. I love it. Dars, what about you, man? Yeah, first of all, thanks for, uh, you know, creating the platform to provide this opportunity. Mm -hmm. It's it's great to be able, you know, like Steve said earlier, share share the information and our experience and hopefully it helps others, you know, down the road of, of what is possible. Um, yeah, and then as far as getting a hold of me, you know, I'm on Twitter, uh, uh, Darcy Norman is my handle. 
Um, not much of an Instagram guy showing my age a little bit, <laughs> the, you know, LinkedIn, the usual pieces. And then, you know, Darcy at Kitman labs, if you have questions, uh, D Norman at ussoccer.org and, uh, yeah. And then Darcy Norman consulting as well. Uh, just where you find a little background on, uh, experiences and, and journeys. So I love it. Well, guys, thank you again so much for coming on. This has really been great. Yeah. Thanks, Mike. Thank you very much, brother. Appreciate all the work. All right, my friend, that does it for this week's episode of the Physical Preparation Podcast. Really hope you enjoyed it. Man, I just really, really enjoyed sitting down, talking to Steve, talking to Darcy. Obviously, I've talked to them individually on previous shows, but to bring them together, get them to reflect and kind of review what happened over the last four years, their wins, their losses, What they want to do better in the future going forward was just such a unique opportunity. And man, I just love the fact one thing they talked about repeatedly in this show was putting yourself out there, being vulnerable. And for them to do that on an episode like this and share what they feel like they did well, maybe some things that they felt like they could have done better, you just don't see that very often. So for these guys to come on here and share all of this, man, I appreciate it more than they know. And I really hope you enjoyed the episode. I feel like In times like this, you feel like you're getting that peek behind the curtain, right? Like, what are the best in the world doing at the highest level of sports? So, again, can't say this enough. Thank you so much to Steve and Darcy for coming on. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, I would like you to do me one small favor. If you're not subscribed already, go ahead and do that. But the favor for today is, if you enjoyed this episode, share it with somebody else that could benefit from it. They don't have to be in the soccer space. If you're working with somebody that wants to get better... Uh, Maybe it's as a coach, as a trainer. Maybe they want to level up their processes. Maybe they want to get better on the sports science side. Man, put Darcy and Steve in front of them. These guys are world class, and I think anybody that you share this show with would benefit from their insights. So my friend, as always, thank you so much for your support. Love and appreciate you, and we'll be back next week with our next episode. Take care.